0: Hi, I'm BK. I'm your host. Welcome to No Trigger Warnings Podcast. I had three children uh before I started trying in my 40s. I didn't have any troubles conceiving them whatsoever. In fact, uh the last one we decided to try, and um I was pregnant before we even got a chance to try, so I did have a DVT pulmonary embolism after my third one, and my OB did recommend that I did not get pregnant again. I was really overweight at that time. I don't know if that played into it. I think it did, but he said not to put myself in a hypercoagulative state again, like pregnancy. So he recommended that I not have any more kids, and I followed those directions for a really long time, even though I wanted another one. So I remarried in 2018. My husband lived in Turkey, and at one point we were even trying to conceive on different continents. I remember I went to Turkey. I think it was the last two times I visited. I did it during my ovulation time because, hey, fertility tracker or fertility friend, that thing can give you a pretty darn precise estimation after a while. And no, I'm not sponsored. I wish I was because I need to be earning money. So I would go during my ovulation period and I brought my thermometer and I hid it under my pillow and I took it when he would leave for work. So... He didn't know how crazy I was right away. So when one month, two months went by and and I wasn't pregnant, I was like, what is going on here? Like, this is weird. My periods were super light after getting my marina taken out, my IUD. They, I had regular, like, seven-day slaughterhouse when I was in my 20s and my teenage years. But my periods were like a day, a light flow, one, two days. That, that's it. So I know for a fact now looking back that Marina messed up my lining using it for as long as I did. But so I was sort of wondering what was going on with that. Um, Six months goes by and I'm still temping, you know, temping BBT. Basically, I ovulated early, I had light periods, and I wasn't getting pregnant. 2019, still trying, getting harder. (laughs) You start to go a little crazy. Am I right, lady? I don't think just ladies will be listening to this. Honestly, I think this, these, these women that are going to be talking, some of their stories are so riveting and like emotional and inspiring. And my God, what we, I'm going to include myself. Okay. What we go through. Oh my God. In April, I ended up having a cyst, like a hemorrhagic cyst, one that bleeds into itself and suspected adenomyosis. So I was referred to an OB, which I was really excited about because that's where everyone got clomid from. So I was like, yay. I hadn't had a reason to go to one. So I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, this got me my foot in the door. He thinks I'm going in for this reason and now I can talk him into this and blah, 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 blah. So when I went in there, he totally crushed my dreams and was pretty much like, I'm not going to help you do that because you had a blood clot. When I started trying to conceive with my husband. I was going to the gym five days a week. I was eating really low carb, really healthy. I was, you know, doing all the things I should have kept doing. But me in my head, I was like, oh my gosh, what if I'm wrecking my chances? What if I'm exercising too hard? What if I'm not eating enough carbs? And then I stopped going to the gym. My bread loving husband moved here. So long story short, I gained, I think, 75 pounds in six months after Right before he moved here and afterwards. So when by the time I get to the OB, okay, I'm overweight. Like, not just, you know, oh, she's thick, but overweight. Big time. So he's like, no, no, I'm not gonna. I left that appointment in tears. He, was, he said, there's this test we can get done to see if you can even conceive. This is what he said. And I'm like, what? Test to see if I can conceive? What planet are you from? You know, this is what I'm thinking. I'm like, all right. And so I was thinking about it, Me and my husband discussed it, and and we would try anyway if the number was low. So we didn't uh, get that tested at that time. And the adenomyosis, it was suspected, and he said, you know, here, go see if you can even have a baby, and um, hasta la vista. So it wasn't very long after that, a couple months, and I was like, what if something's wrong with my husband's sperm? Okay, I had gotten pregnant three times already. I didn't know things like HSG, you know? I didn't know any of that stuff. And now it's the first thing I would recommend. If you're going to try to conceive and you're over 40, you go get an HSG. Just go get one right now. It's going to be one of the best investments that you've made towards your goal. So we went and did that, saw the RE, one of the REs in our city. Um, Cost a little fortune, all of our savings, to be told that I needed to do IVF, basically, to have a good shot. My antral follicle count was 8 My AMH came back at 0.44, so that wasn't terribly bad. That time, I thought it was the end of the world, though. End of the world. End of the world. I thought I was never going to have a baby, ever. So she tested that. She tested my husband's sperm. It came back excellent. So I was like, okay, well, it's not him. And they talked me into getting the HSG, which was extremely painful for me. That first one I had, um, she did push too forcefully and maybe she kind of knew what she was doing and she thought, okay, I can either hurt this lady and try to unplug this tube or stop. So maybe she was doing me a favor. I don't know, but it did. It was very painful on the left side, um, but it got flowing. It was flowing and my uterus looked fine. So we were like, okay, about that time, I think I started melatonin. My current blog post that I'm writing, it's actually about melatonin, how it's not just for sleeping. I found an online support group, started a thread in the older women's section, and slowly but surely, other women started to write you know write and respond and join and gosh, three and a half years later now, a lot of us are still there and it's kind of amazing to to still be in touch with some of these ladies and it's my absolute honor to say that a few of them are going to be speaking on NTW podcasts. So I think September, 2019 started the thread, um, was starting to get some support. It was really nice. And I was using soy isoflavones. I should mention first that I'm not a doctor. I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. After a year of using it cycle day two through six, I pushed my soy isoflavones out to cycle day five through nine. I was just thinking, okay, maybe, I mean, people are saying you don't ovulate for like five or something days after your last day of Clomid. So if this is supposed to be like Clomid, which is what the internet says, it's not me saying that. So remember, I don't know anything. Um, I thought, okay, it's worth a shot. Why am I doing it the other way? You know. So I did that, but I also did one other thing. I started learning about early recruitment. So Actually, after this episode, when you're finished, go to notriggerwarnings.com, my blog, and look at the post early recruitment. If your estrogen drops sooner than it used to, your FSH is going to rise sooner than it used to, and you are going to start this whole process sooner than you used to. And that's not good. So you go to that blog, you read that. I wanted to try to get a healthier egg. I wanted to ovulate a day or two later and I didn't have much to go on. So I I just bought over-the-counter estrogen cream and I used it three times a day instead of two times a day for about three days. I did that right before my period was supposed to start. I don't know if it did something. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I got a BFP. And we were totally freaked out. Like, whoa. I, I actually, I don't know if my husband was really freaked out or not. I was. I... I was just, I didn't think it would ever happen. All those memories suddenly came back so quickly. You know, pregnancy feelings and leucoria and the fire boobs, the lightning crotch. (laughs) Sounds like a horror movie. (laughs) Leucoria and the fire boobs, the lightning crotch. (laughs) I went in at four weeks, four and a half weeks because I was having some pain. It was probably just the, the corpus luteum. We waited for our appointment at seven weeks and two days I think um, and there was no heartbeat when we when we went in you you can disagree with me I personally if, if a heartbeat's not there at seven plus two I'm going to be very very concerned I'm not going to consider that that's going to be a positive outcome I, I would hope for it but I there's only so many miracles that I'm gonna get um, it was excruciating mentally, I, I, I hated that knowledge that our child, that our baby was deceased and I was still carrying it. So we went back for the repeat scan and again, there was no change. So we did the misoprostol. I ended up doing seven doses before anything really happened. It was a nightmare actually, days in bed, not knowing when miscarriage would start and Anyway, it was it was really hard, really hard. And then uh, went back and it still wasn't all out. So I had to have a DNC anyway. And I had not told anybody that I was trying to conceive yet, except a friend or t- a couple friends, um, close friends. And so that was the time that I decided to tell my mom and my sister right before we, we did the repeat scan, I told them. So then the cat was out of the bag. My grandmother died a month later. My husband was having thoughts about maybe not trying for a while. I was incredibly hormonal. So I dove headfirst into medicated cycles. That was my next plan because I was like, no, I didn't wait 16 months for this to happen. And I honestly didn't think I would ever miscarry. I honestly didn't think I would. Kind of silly. I mean, I wonder if a lot of other women think that too, just because it never happened before. So I went to see an RE, a different one from the one that I had seen before. Same thing, though, as the the first one. They really want to get you in there and get you an ultrasound done and make sure they tell you exactly, you know, how much IVF is going to help you. So if that's been your experience... um... So we sat down and we talked about my weight, my age, IVF being the only way um, it would probably be possible for us. He said uh, he wouldn't transfer mosaics. Then he went on some spiel about how barely any mosaics result in live birth. So he's not for transferring them. And that was pretty much, I mean, I would never do IVF with someone who wasn't. That's my personal thought. After I got him off my tail for IVF, I basically just told him it's not doable right now and made it sound very much like it would be possible in the future. So I do remember I was really nervous that they didn't want me to come back till cycle day 13. It would have been cycle day 12, but that happened to be on a Sunday. I was really like... I kept telling them, you know, Hey, I ovulate on cycle day 11. I was like, Oh my God, this is costing so much money. I mean, I don't know, 800 bucks or something I want to say just for, so anyway, we did letrozole five milligrams cycle day three through seven. And we did one injection of FSH, 150 IUs, I think cycle day eight and another 150 IUs cycle day 10, I believe ended up biting my knuckles over the weekend and got my positive OPK on Sunday. So I was like, you know, crap. Went in Monday morning and oh man, that Sunday night, it was so painful. I had never felt ovulation like that before. So when I got in there early, they herded us through like cattle. I ended up having three pretty mature follicles. One was 17 millimeters and we triggered and went home. Baby danced, sex, that's what that means. And we waited and we got pregnant. I was like, yes, you know, all of that heartache and brutal grief. And it was a bad, bad holiday season. I was pregnant again. It was great. Something happened. Um, My tests weren't getting darker for a few days. So something was happening there. I had some pink spotting, and I was like, what? I've never had spotting in a pregnancy ever. Monday, beta was 19, um, so I was like, "Uh." So anyway, my betas rose slowly, um, and then they started rising good, and so I was like, oh gosh, this is a roller coaster. I was going through one of my grandmother's trunks with my mom because my grandma had died. I was actually part-time working for her. I was her caretaker. And we were going through a trunk, just of old family stuff that was brought over on a ship, I think from Ireland. And there was just some stuff in there that family, my family members had put in there. And each time one of them died, it just got handed down to, my mom has it now. And I suppose I'm going to get it. Me and my sister will have to fight over this damn trunk. It is pretty cool looking though. They called and told me my betas. And I was like, I knew immediately. I was like, nope. Nope. They didn't raise, they didn't even raise 53%. And that's the cutoff 53%. And I asked her, I said, is that okay? And she was like, yeah, it still meets our, our cutoff. And then immediately I got off the phone and I did the math and I was like, no, she's so wrong. She's going off the, the beta before that. And I called back and I said, are you sure? Cause you know, this, 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 and she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You're right. That's, it's not, it's not doubling. And I said, what are we going to do? And, um, I went in and it had attached in my cesarean scar. I was gonna have to terminate. He said I would have to terminate. And I would have to do chemotherapy if it continued to grow. But when we did the ultrasound, uh, there was no fetal pull. So it, the, I guess the blood had restricted so much. It was probably a good thing that that it was, because then I, we would have had to do chemo and he wanted to anyway, he, he was sort of iffy. We were gonna wait the weekend to see what happened and be prepared to do the chemo shot, but I had already started looking at IVF before this. I already had an appointment set up with CNY Fertility with Dr. Kiltz. Um, it takes like four months to get in. So after my first miscarriage, I had set up appointments and I had been, you know, talking to a couple different people. One person, one doctor in Turkey I was talking to. So I was really planning to look into that, um, but then I got pregnant and then it was the cesarean <laughs> scar pregnancy. and. The guy in Turkey, I was really leaning towards him. Dr. S is what we'll call him. And he said, you know, try not to do the chemotherapy shot. He said, you know, it can be bad for egg quality. And I really wanted to jump on it. We had to follow my numbers down. Uh, They did come down. I didn't need the shot. I miscarried on my own. That miscarriage was pretty much the lowest point that I have ever dipped down to. So that second miscarriage, I was lucky. Uh, He said if the shot didn't work and it still kept dividing, he would have to literally have to go in through surgical, like a tiny little cesarean, go in there, like, like clean up the scar a little bit, take all the pregnancy out because you have to make sure you get every single cell, apparently. We decided to go to CNY. The reason why we chose that and not Turkey is because COVID happened. The Turkish doctor, he didn't even respond to me after the weeks we had been conversing back and forth. He just like dropped me like a hot potato when COVID happened. I never talked to him again. So sorry guy if you got COVID. I ended up getting all my meds at a slightly discounted price. That's, that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. I started priming with Omnitrope. I hope I'm saying that right. It's a human growth hormone. Dr. Kiltz is big on that. I don't know if the other doctors are too, but he does that, especially for older women. So I primed with that six I use every day, uh, kind of made me sick actually. And I sort of experimented a little bit with estrogen priming again, except I had real estrogen. So kind of what I did with the first pregnancy and miscarriage, I used the the estrogen cream in my luteal phase at the end of it. I, I told you to go look at that blog, the early recruitment blog post ended up having, you know, 14 follicles for my IVF cycle. Um, COVID happened. We didn't know if we were going to be able to go, but we were still able to go. Me, my husband and my 14 year old son at the time. Yeah. 14, I think. So he thought that was pretty wild that we were doing that. Cause I ended up having to tell him and the, you know, the other kids too. One's 23, a, a boy married and expecting a baby. I'm going to be a grandma. Grandma's with newborns. Hey God, I need a shirt and a bumper sticker. I'm, I'm claiming that right now. And I'm You guys will see bumper stickers, grandma with a newborn. My daughter, she's 19 and I have a son who's 16 now. So we did IVF first off. We did IVF, um, went from 14 follicles to eight to seven being um, retrieved to only four being injected and three being uh, frozen on day three. So that was a little depressing. Couldn't do a fresh transfer because on trigger day, um, my progesterone was two. I I was like, screw this. I'm going to do this anyway. I want to go home with an embryo in my womb. No, I made the right decision and I didn't because it can royally screw up your transfer. So I went home. Um, I did medicated cycles. So I got fluid in my uterus after retrieval. Um, Man, that sucked. Every dang baseline I had friggin' fluid in my uterus. And I was fighting my endometrial lining was like five millimeters and then it it won like so May we ended up going to, to, to CNY in May 2020. I ended up doing five cycles and every cycle I would change my own protocol. I would make a, I would make it up myself. I have notes in my binder. I'm actually going to read you just a tiny little bit because it's funny how meticulous I was. So really quick, it looks like my cycle after IVF. I was doing about 150 FSH a day. I did an azithromycin pack. I did prednisone. I did prograph and Claritin. I was estrogen priming still. The next cycle, I tried Menopur, and I liked it better. I can't remember. I don't have any notes on why, but I just did. I liked it better. I felt like it was doing more. I started increasing my water. I was using Claritin again, and I think it's so cute. I have this little note in here that says, says, for second pregnancy, get refills of everything in November and December and January. Oh, I was doing LDN as well. And I loved it. I feel good on LDN. So it's so cute. Start looking for Omnitrope. Uh, Six weeks postpartum. Discuss trying to conceive. Antibiotics? Check FSH. I mean, I was already planning my second one before I even had my first one. That's how much we wanted to in my heart. that's, That's how much I wanted to. I was still having the liquid in my uterine lining. I was doing the Sudafed and Claritin and trying to you know, clear up the fluid. I was doing estrogen in the follicular phase, cycle day seven, because I, yeah, you can't start it too soon or it might stall your follicle growth, I forgot. I was doing Lovenox shots, um, I have to take Lovenox throughout any pregnancy after that first blood clot. I had cervicitis twice the year before we started trying to conceive. And there was no reason for it. No STDs, never had an STD. She said my cervix was red and inflamed. So she would treat it with antibiotics and test for STDs. Clear. And I had an IUD in at the time. And I was like, dang, you know, what if that thing is causing this? So I ended up getting it taken out anyway, because we were going to try to conceive. And then I just kept thinking about that. And my scant periods, literally like a day, two days, my periods were... I ended up getting a phone call appointment with Dr. Kiltz, I think a follow up because I was being treated as his patient remotely. And I talked to Dr. Kiltz because I was really concerned still about my light periods and the fact that I had cervicitis twice. And so my issue was I wanted to repeat HSG. I figured, you know, it had been time. I I needed another one. My tubes could have got mucked up or something. Uh, so I needed another one of those and he let me do it during my luteal phase, which was really cool. Um, once I figured I wasn't pregnant, I went to the appointment, did it, and then I could still try the next cycle. So it was pretty cool. He also didn't make me do a biopsy because of my symptoms uh, and he treated it for me for endometritis, Endometritis, I believe is what it's called. So he treated me with doxycycline, 200 milligrams for two weeks. Um, I did the HSG. And, you know, they let me, they let me stim until I had like five follicles. They were okay with me doing that. I was okay. You know, hell, I'm 41 at the time. We went to five follicles and triggered and did timed intercourse. So, but yeah, my lining and the fluid, you know, I haven't once mentioned that I was doing the LLLT light for this IVF retrieval. So I started using it the cycle before my retrieval, and I use it during my retrieval, and I use it every cycle after that. And I've used it on my neck, my knees, my back, my kids. Um, I've told everyone I know about it. It's just amazing. It reduces inflammation, dries up water. Um, it, it increases the energy of the cells. And if we're talking about an egg, it increases the energy and it allows it to divide more properly. I'm going to get on that blog post I think it's going to be changing the face of fertility and medicine, actually. And there's various studies I'll be linking to. So that'll be a very important blog post for everyone. You know, subscribe so you're notified when that comes out. I will be using it again when I do my egg retrieval for our sibling journey. I don't, you know, I don't like calling it a sibling journey. It's not a sibling journey. It's the same journey I was on before, but even more important now because there's a third one wanting it. So he just doesn't know it, but he does. And then, you know, I have other kids too. So I started using the LLLT. I was using it the summer 2021. I started using Viagra suppositories, Viagra suppositories. I was using estrogen patches before ovulation to try to get my lining up. I was doing the freaking pomegranate and the freaking beets and a uh, God, I was doing castor oil packs. Actually, <laughs> those things are messy as hell, but they do feel kind of good. So I would do one day of castor oil packs, one day of the LLLT, one day of the packs. Finally, I was like, what the f***? Sorry. Why do I have no lining? Why do I have all this freaking fluid? So I tried Mucinex and I also did something else. I thought to myself, why was my lining during my retrieval like nine millimeters? It was, it was amazing. It was like Luscious, thick, lining, but I couldn't transfer. What was it about that retrieval that I hadn't repeated? And the fluid—I mean, the fluid was ugh. omnitrope. That's what I had done, and had such a great lining. So I was like, "Crap, I'm doing this for you know how however many weeks I was able to do it." when I realized that, so I started it right away. My lining actually got up to eight millimeters, I think. I started Mucinex, and that was really strange to me because Mucinex is what you take to give you cervical mucus. Why would it dry you up in the womb? So cycle day six, I had three millimeters of fluid. I was doing Viagra four times a day. Omnitro, got estrogen patches. I ate Brazil nuts. I had five follicles. I was like, F this because at CNY, they had me trigger when only a couple of like a handful were 19, 18, 19. The rest were 16 millimeters. And I was like, "Eek!" that's kind of, you know, I trusted them and that's protocol. That's what they do. They don't know every woman and me, I cannot trigger that early. So over the summer, I was trying to kind of like I was trying to figure out my lining situation, first of all, but the Mucinex dried it up. I started that cycle with three millimeters of fluid. I ended up having no fluid and an eight millimeter lining, five follicles, big ones, almost, I think all of them were over 20. And I got pregnant and I was scared as hell. I went in at five plus two and they didn't even see a yolk sac or anything. I think they saw like a little blip thing. I was like, oh God. There was this was torture. And then we went in at six plus four and there was a baby and there was a heartbeat. And as the ultrasound slowed down and she was getting to be finished, she focused on this part that she had, you know, not seen yet. And there was another thing beating in there. And so I was like, is that what I think it is? And she said, that's what I'm trying to figure out. And she said, I guess sometimes the uterus will relax enough towards the end. Um, so we had two, we had two, we had twins. Uh, unfortunately one had a pretty good heartbeat and one, one's heartbeat was slower and it was smaller. It was about measuring about a week behind. Um, got in, had a seven plus four, seven weeks plus four days ultrasound. Um, the heart had stopped when we went back. If I had said that I lost the baby again, and you know there was no baby you would have felt bad it's the third miscarriage right jesus but i said one of the twins died but the other one had a really good heartbeat and it was really healthy instantly it's kind of human nature to grab onto the healthy and the good and it's like okay yeah well you have one yeah you know it's great and that's normal for human nature but as the person having the loss it feels the same as when you lose just one baby there's no difference It's the same loss as if you just have one. But you have to, you know, just be happy and... You know what? No, you don't. You don't have to just be god dang happy. You don't have to be. Because it's not a happy situation to be in when you're losing one. And people forget that, you know, that's what's going on. I don't like the term vanishing twin. I saw mine. I saw the heartbeat on the screen. So he said there was like he was like 30% chance it'll come out and the other one will stay in and be fine. A third chance it will come out and take the healthy one with it. And then a third chance that it will just stay inside and like reabsorb. I mean, those are damn good odds if you're, you know, playing a lottery. So we were to come back in two weeks. So we came back at nine plus four. And when I went to the bathroom to leave my urine sample, blood started literally dripping I I mean, I knew sometimes it happened in pregnancies, and a little bit was okay, but this was dripping into the toilet. I I thought, okay, I don't know what I'm miscarrying, but I'm miscarrying. I went out in the hall, went to the first woman I saw. She took me to the ultrasound room where my husband was sitting there, you know. And I, said, I told him what happened, and then I just sort of left the room and went back. To, I actually went into an empty room. We did the ultrasound, and the alive baby was fine. The non-viable one um, was sort of the same, but it had been kind of collapsed a little bit, but the bleeding came from two SCHs, subchorionic hematomas. One was two centimeters about, one was one centimeter. So one next to each pregnancy. One thing that was pretty obvious to me at this point was the babies had implanted low. So that was one of the reasons why he felt this miscarriage kind of threatened the other one, because both pregnancies were implanted very low and they were pretty close together. 11 plus 4, we went back. I think we did the NIPT at that point because he was like, congratulations, I'm not worried anymore. He actually congratulated me. It was like the first time, you know, in the pregnancy. He was like, okay, yeah, okay, let's do this now. My NIPT came back a boy and which is what we wanted. So just before Christmas, we got to find that out. So I had my anatomy scan in January, towards the end of January went in. um, I was so worried about the baby the whole pregnancy. It was funny. I didn't even conceive that I should have worried about something else. The MFM doctor came in after the scan and said, okay, good news. The baby looks good. We can't see all of the heart, but everything else looks good. He said, I have previa, complete placenta previa and I was like hmm um, I've heard of that so I kind of went into I was kind of zoned out a little bit so it's like hmm I didn't know the different previas at that time I didn't know one from the other I didn't know what was going on with that but they said you know there was something else that he suspects I have something called placenta accreta and that usually what would happen is that a woman would have the hysterectomy I mean he's just saying this like talking like like he's talking to his wife over dinner and I'm like what did you just say? Like, that's got to be a mistake, because that's not happening. He said, sometimes the doctors, if they want to be conservative with the removal of the uterus situation, they will do this or that. Sometimes they can save the uterus. Okay, so that's what I left with. Well, I left crying all the way home. You know, I I was in shock. My dreams of having a second child were almost just taken that moment, so... A is when the placenta becomes attached to the wall of the uterus. So usually I've, I read, believe me, I read a whole bunch online that you should be able to scoop the placenta. Like you could put your hand between it and the wall of your uterus and like be able to carve it off kind of. And accreta is when it attaches, like it sends out little feelers into the into the surface of your uterus, and it won't come off. Um, I don't know how that would be sewn up. And if it's attached a lot, it's dangerous to do that because a placenta is a like a, a monster heart. In fact, um, we would refer to my placenta as the monster after a while because it was unstoppable. Really, I mean, it takes its job very seriously. One of its jobs is to you know keep a human being growing alive with blood. That's usually why they have an oncologist as part of the team, because they are used to really invasive type of, well, tumors are very invasive, and so is the placenta. Uh, The doctor said it is very similar to a tumor, in fact. So with creta, it attaches, and Increta is when the placenta grows through that barrier wall that separates the inside of the womb from the the musculature part of the uterus, the wall, I think it's the myometrium. It's when it grows into that, like the insulation in your wall, like it was to punch through the wall itself and kind of grow all through the insulation. It could just grow a tiny bit, or it could grow all through it. And also if it grows into your cervix, that's also increta. And then I believe it's called Procreta is the final one. And that's when it goes through one side into the wall, out the other side onto other organs, possibly the bladder, intestines, ovaries, whatever, whatever it can find. I don't know what the hell it's looking for, to be honest. <laughs> You'd think it would have a fine darn spot in the uterus, I asked all sorts of questions, you know, about keeping the uterus and he's just, I can tell he's like, "Mm." you know, he's, he's thinking to himself, this isn't going to happen, but I got to tell her something. I'm sure that's what he was thinking. I said, if it's not that bad when he gets in there, at least could he look and see if he could save it because we have frozen embryos that we are going to transfer for another baby. That's our plan. That's, that's what we want. He said, yeah, I'll do that. So that was nice of him because from that moment forward i had no control over anything when 28 weeks came along and i had my scan it was even worse than the first time definitely a creta. actually it was in creta at this point because it was all through my cervix which felt weird and i and i was in pain as well it was getting harder to stand and it was weird after i would walk in the store it would be like like a sharp bone feeling almost like an intense throbbing ache in my, I don't know, I want to say like my cervix area, but I couldn't tell where it was coming from. And that's not really where it, where it felt like it was just strange. So I I think it might've just been my uterus. I don't know. I can't tell you what it was, but it increased as time went on. It got worse and worse and worse to where I didn't even stand for more than a few minutes at a time and a handful of times a day. So went back at 28 weeks, it was worse, and they're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You're going to be hospitalized at 32 weeks for two weeks for monitoring, and then at 34 weeks, you will have the baby. I wasn't okay with that. I wasn't I, I, at all. was not okay with 34 weeks. That wasn't even the issue, though. The issue was, in my reports from the MFM to my OB, I, I read, you know, highly suspect that this pregnancy will go before 34 weeks, meaning i should be prepared at any time because the placenta looked like it was through the wall of the uterus meaning it would grow onto other organs perhaps it was near the bladder they can't tell really anything 100 percent from ultrasounds i was fully prepared to beg to keep my cervix which really sucked because i had to lose my uterus i knew that now there was a gynecological oncologist and a urologist both on board in case just for invasiveness um, and then neurology for, you know, well, I ended up needing it, just put it that way. And uh, my OB also needed his partner, another OB and pro- and there was other people as well, um, like the, the residents and um, other doctors from the practice. As the weeks went on, you know, of course I was afraid of hemorrhage. I heard horror stories of women dying in their sleep when they hemorrhage because it can be so much blood so fast. And I was worried about my bladder. Um, so that pregnancy sucked. Uh, once I learned about it, 20 weeks, you know, you just pray to God, you make it to 24 weeks. And that's what I was doing. I was just like, I had a calendar on the wall and every day I crossed off a day until I got to 24 weeks. And then I made a new calendar with two more weeks on it. And I made it to 26 weeks. And that's how we live through pregnancies sometimes. It's not peaceful to be pregnant when you've lost. So I was in a weird, emotional, numb headspace, I guess you could say. I couldn't really tell people how I was doing because I would cry. I couldn't really talk about it out loud or I would cry. If my husband, you know, came home, how are you doing? I would cry. We went in, uh, spent two weeks there, went into false labor twice. That was interesting. I'd never gone into labor at all with my other three kids. So it was kind of weird having contractions and watching it and feeling it. I mean, it was scary because I didn't, I wanted every day. I mean, 32 weeks is too early. 33 weeks is too early. So every day I was just like, no, 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 no. This can't be happening. I haven't written this part of my blog yet. I've actually been writing my journey and that's at notriggerwarnings.com and I go into a lot of detail with that and I think I'm going to stick with that being the method that I go into detail and we met with the NICU it was covid so we weren't going to be allowed in the room together with the baby i just had a major surgery and i was in so much pain and i couldn't see the baby for 24 hours i wanted my husband with me that's nature you know you want your support person with you whether whoever that is The surgery was, I felt helpless and hopeless and scared as shit in that operating room. There was like 5, 10, 15, 20 people, maybe a dozen huge machines. There was barely any room for anyone. As I was being put to sleep, I was getting a catheter put in and it hurt. I was getting the tube adjusted sort of by my neck. They were looking at it, figuring out how to stick it in my throat, kind of. I was getting an IV put in, in my artery, you know, in your wrist there. That one, that one bruised bad afterwards. And they were having me tilt my head, trying to figure out where to put the central line in my neck. And then I fell asleep, and that was a horrible way to have a baby. I described it to my therapist as feeling, like, kind of molested. Still a little difficult to talk about, so I'm going to save most of those details for writing, because it's still, it's, uh... I woke up from surgery and I was in excruciating pain. It turned out I did have procreta. Placenta had grown kind of onto my bladder, so they needed to cut it away and pare a little bit. But they ended up... Th- that one of The other doctor that was helping him told me, and he was quite excited when he was telling me, <laughs> that he had to grab my uterus and squeeze it in his hands to get the blood to stop coming out of it. Apparently it's pretty messy in there. I lost five liters and they, they nicked my ureter. ureter. So a urologist was needed, came in, put in a stent. I, I woke up with an, an excruciating pain. It was a pain I'd never had before, so that's always unpleasant. You don't know how to deal with that type of a bladder pain? Your bladder's sensitive. It was spasming over and over like contractions it was really strange just like contractions actually immediately when they got me back into the labor and delivery room it was the same room i thought after like a major surgery like that maybe i would be taken somewhere else but i had to get one of those hot air blower things put on and the thing wrapped around the bed you know because i was shivering i was so cold and i think that happens with blood loss so i was in a lot of pain i'm just gonna say that a lot of pain Uh, Went home after six days, came back on the 12th day, because that's a whole nother story. I got sick, I got very sick, I got a fever. I had a fever every day for five days. Went to labor and delivery, got checked out, had urine tests and blood tests, and I ended up, you know, I was was really sick. I developed the fever just one day after I got home. I went to get my JP drain uh, removed. I don't know if anyone's had one of those. Uh, That experience changed me for the rest of my life. I don't know what happened to that drain line after they put it in and sewed me up, but it was like a spirit-shattering type of electrical hot pain when the lady took that out. And she did it very slowly because I was afraid. And my OB told her how he does it is have them cough and you pull it out. And it's like 12 inches long, this drain. It's like a tube that was in your gut. And they pull it out of this tiny little hole. I mean like you have this like bulb hanging out of your stomach that you have to empty and it's attached to a tube that's that long inside you. And so she's pulling this out really slowly. And I'm thinking now that I'm thinking back on it, it's, it reminds me of something that like in the old time wars you would, you would have to go through and there's no pain management. I mean, I cannot see how that was, that would be done without it, but apparently it's just done without it all the time. However, I, I did research it a bit and there are certain times when it can be excruciatingly painful for people to get it removed. And I'm glad it only lasted five minutes. But I got a fever that night. I started getting a fever that night. And I i don't know. It kept getting worse. And on the fifth night, it was a Friday, I woke up at 1 a.m. with rigors. I was shaking uncontrollably. Uncontrollably, I could not speak through my teeth I thought I was going to break my teeth, actually. My my mask had blood on the front and on the inside <laughs> because my I was biting my tongue over and over again. It was a traumatic experience. I'm just going to at least save that for my blog. I ended up getting two more units of blood because my I was feeling really gross. Actually, I was feeling really gross. It was hard to breathe when I moved. Um, but they put me up on the sepsis floor <laughs> where they were excited because I was so young and a lot of their patients pass away. God, I just remember feeling so sick, and they gave me so many antibiotics, big gun antibiotics, and I was still trying to pump. God, it hurts so bad to pump. I would cry just thinking about having to pump. And the baby came home on the 22nd day. Um, I only stayed a few more days in the hospital, and it was, yeah, it was rough. It was really rough. That was a rough time having him in there. He wouldn't eat. He just, he was so tired. He was just like, just feed me through this tube in my nose. Just like, that's fine. (laughs) A year goes by, not even a year. And there's a whole bunch of life that happens in that amount of time. You know, (laughs) we went through some shit. And after the hurricane goes through, you're left with the damage. And there was some damage. I... Never stopped wanting another baby, and immediately at twenty weeks, when they told me that, I immediately started looking up surrogacy. Immediately, because I remember I I read online a woman talking about Ukraine and that it's quite affordable. I mean forty thousand dollars USD. I mean that's fifty percent less than it starts at here, but. That thought was so far off, and even having that money was so far off, I had no idea how we would do it. I was staying at home, now with a baby, and I didn't tell my husband how I was feeling about it. I never told him I wanted another one. I mean, that was the plan all along, but after surgery, we never discussed it. I'm not finished yet. I'm going to do another IVF retrieval, and we're going to do a gestational carrier with our own embryo, and I'm earning the money to do that (laughs) by doing this actually with the podcast. I mean, the ads, it's tricky. You know, you have to read them at the beginning or in the middle. And I just, I would have to find the right ones. I mean, expect that to happen. My blog, it's going to be a great resource for women over 40. And for me too, now that I'm going back through the retrieval process, I mean, there's some things that I need to know again, but for updates on me, continue checking out my blog, subscribe, please. Um, a lot of the posts are going to be men, non-binary friendly, um, posts about supplements, you know, that are extremely important for trying to conceive, but also really good anti-aging supplements. So make sure to subscribe. Um, thank you so much for joining me and make sure to tune in next week, uh, Saturday, 10 o'clock AM Pacific standard time. And we will hear from Sweetheart who, um, is on this journey as well. Have a good week.